Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 9.12 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It's the 29th, god dang, of November 2022. This is episode 645, finally, of Bitcoin. And yeah, it was a kind of a bad week. Well, no, honestly, it was it was actually a, a good week. It was a bad week for the show. Kids were out for an entire week. They've apparently up here they combined what has been in Texas like a two or three day fall break along with the uh, Thanksgiving uh, holiday. So they just give the kids an entire week off. And I don't have a door on my studio any longer. So I got two kids chilling out in the house for an entire week. And my wife was sick again. Again, Yes, again. She was sick like the like like the week before the week before Thanksgiving, and then on Thanksgiving Day, she woke up sick again. Again, it was really rough, man. So uh, yeah, I was having to kind of like take care of a lot of stuff all at once, and and the consequence is the show suffered, and I have nothing but apologies for that. Uh, and you know where accountability comes in is that I'm looking at the boostograms from episode 644 and I've got one, two, three, three. (laughs) How many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? Pop. Three. One, two, three. Uh, That's accountability. See, when I don't make a show, I feel it. (laughs) I feel it. Because not only did I only get three, you know, boostograms on my last show, uh, once that show is listened to by the people that listen to it, that's it. They don't have anything. They're they're not going to go back to the old shows and boost. That's called accountability. It's feedback. It's a feedback loop. I cannot tell you how happy I am to be back in front of the mic after this whole last week. And yesterday, because my wife was still sick yesterday. She's not exactly feeling well today. But the kids went back to school yesterday, and she was sick as a dog yesterday. So I had kind of had to take care of her. You know, and again, there's no door. There is no door on this studio. Which means that everything that I say goes out into the rest of the house. You know, maybe I'll do a GoFundMe for a door or something like that. Who knows? I, I don't know. But uh, lots of stuff has happened. Uh, oh, before I get off of the accountability issue, uh, a few a few words. Has anybody that was pushing shit like BlockFi and Celsius on their you know podcasts and or YouTube channels has anybody apologized yet? Like actually taking the fucking time to sit down and say, you know what, 
Not only was I not only was I wrong, but in my wrongness, I got people wrecked and lost them money. Has has a single person, and I'm not I, I'm I don't include the bankless guys crying on their YouTube channel as an apology. No, sir. That is not an apology. That's you becoming emotionally wrecked. Has anybody actually said, I'm sorry? I'm sorry for, you know, instead of looking at doing what's right, which you know, you know what's right. You, I'm, I'm sorry. I don't give a shit anymore. If you think you're walking around and, and well, I just didn't know that there was something wrong. Yes, you do. Because you listen to your heart. And that's the mistake, not listening to your gut. I highly recommend everybody listening to this today to get back into connection with their gut and their heart. You know why your gut tells you things? Because anywhere between five, I've heard anywhere between five and 40% of all of the neurons in your body minus the spinal column and the nerves that go to fire muscles are in your gut. There, there's a, enough mass of neurons in your intestines and wrapped around all that liver and around your stomach, your gut, your gut, your colon, small intestine, you know, the, you know, all that liver and kidneys and all that shit. There's enough neurons down there that it may actually be part of your sentience. I'm, ju- I'm saying, there, you have gut feelings for a reason, and it's not, it, it's, it's not just coincidence that, it, I don't know, man, my stomach's kind of telling me this is wrong, or I, feel, I kind of feel a little queasy when I'm listening to this guy tell me about how FTX is really kick-ass, or how BlockFi is a really great thing to, you can stake your Bitcoin. You can get 6% yield. Yeah, if, if your stomach turned just a little bit, it's because it's actually thinking like your brain thinks. And they're connected. They're connected in ways you don't understand. They're connected in ways I don't understand, except I do understand the following. There's enough neurons in your gut that the food you eat has an impact on the way you think. And I'm not talking about just pure animal protein and fat, you know, being nourishment. No, there's more to it than that. The food you eat tells you where you are. It's that important. Me, you know, I had a discussion with Texas Slim about this a few weeks ago that maybe some of us are confused or we feel weird or or we're susceptible to bullshit or we're susceptible to the clown world because the food we're eating doesn't come from the place where we live it comes from 500 1500 miles away and the allergens that are present in that food do not match the allergens that are in the air of the physical place the geographical location where you live and i believe there's a lock and key mechanism to that that your brain and your immune system and your gut are all working together in concert to make sure that you know where you are, where you are grounded. Your gut is really important in other ways too. And if you were thinking, 
that you could tell people to stake their Bitcoin on something like FTX or I'm sorry, BlockFi, or that keeping it on an exchange like FTX was a good idea and they got wrecked and your stomach turned, your stomach turn should have turned and probably did turn when you took on that advertisement. Fuck you. If you haven't apologized, fuck you. I'm sorry, that's the way it is. It's called ethics. We may not all be right, but I can guarantee you, if you listen to your gut, you will always know what's wrong. You'll always know that you're leading people down the wrong path. Now, with that said, Martin Luther's Reformation teaches us how Bitcoin can be successful. Eric Dale writing this one for Bitcoin Magazine. While we are far from harmless, Bitcoiners are arguably some of the most peaceful people on earth. Initiating violence is antithetical to Bitcoin, both as a store of value and as a store of values. And the network does an excellent job at defending itself through its decentralization. No army needed. And I certainly don't want any confusion with the XRP army or the like. Yet, with fiat nukes directed at London, Moscow, and Berlin, our fiat overlords enriching themselves faster than late medieval popes, and our fiat future promising a level of censorship and surveillance the Gestapo never dreamed about, stacking sats, may be considered as our only resistance. Of course, the fastest way to grow a modern army is to be invaded by Russia. But I want to share some lessons from one of the most successful examples of decentralized resistance the world has ever seen. A moment born in the wake of a disruptive communications technology that allowed information to be copied and spread at an unimaginable speed. An innovation created to overcome the corruption and inefficiency of institutions which had outlived their usefulness. An idea which survived all onslaughts, from brutal internal persecutions to decades of continental war. Talking about Bitcoin. Actually, I'm not talking about Bitcoin. I want to share seven lessons we can learn from late medieval Bitcoiners who went through a similar reformation. One, it's the end of the world. Two, copy everything. Three, make it local for plebs. Four, OPSEC matters. Five, Create your own ecosystem. Six, open source it. Seven, die on the hill. The late 15th century in Europe was a weird matrix-like experience. Imagine being Neo walking through the streets of Amsterdam in, say, you know, 1492 to make it, you know, relatable to our friends from across the Atlantic. What do you see? It's a world where almost every aspect of life is dominated by a single set of institutions that are involved in all important life transitions, provide practically all welfare and education, and even decide what is heretical misinformation and who is qualified to access that truth. Get it? To most people around us, the world we're ending is the only one that have ever known. Perhaps even more so in a world as old as Europe. Many of them will fight us to keep it going. Safe to say, you can't just go around unplugging people from the matrix willy-nilly. Start by talking to the people most likely to listen in the present and the least likely to hurt you in the future, your family and friends. Copy everything, everywhere, 
Being a censor in 1492 must have been a maddening experience, though. Since Johannes Gutenberg became the first person to figure out how to connect his printer to Wi-Fi, things have gotten really out of hand. By 1492, most major European countries were riddled with hipster print shops, at least 25 of them just in the Netherlands alone. While the consequences of this were not immediately apparent, like the internet in the 90s, it basically enabled a prototype of an immutable public ledger by radically increasing the cost of manipulating or repressing information. What used to get done with a letter from the Pope now required a whole damn inquisition. Clearly, late medieval Bitcoiners would all agree. Run your own node. The greatest weakness of the powerful is always their disdain and distrust in ordinary people. Imagine living in a world where only officially accredited people can legitimately interpret the truth, written in a language that's incomprehensible to anyone who has not been brainwashed by the very same institutions. It's a huge stretch of the imagination. In conditions like this, the truth becomes a crown in the gutter. When Martin Luther translated the Bible into vernacular German and at the same time rejected that the church was necessary to read it, he simply picked it up and made it local. Trust that anyone can have a relationship with the truth if you make it available to them. Make some memes, write an op-ed, start a podcast, translate a book. Luther probably didn't intend to spend 300 days hiding in the attic of Wartburg Castle but he totally doxed himself. <laughs> While the Inquisition had existed in various forms for hundreds of years, it was radicalized in response to the printing press and only became really cruel for a period after the Reformation. Operation Security matters. That's OPSEC, by the way. And institutions that seem benign today may turn on you tomorrow. The lesson is pretty simple. Make sure your Bitcoin is not connected to your identity through Know Your Customer Exchanges. Never tell anyone how much Bitcoin you own and take steps to protect your anonymity when you can. Let's have a show of hands. Who has used Bitcoin before? Who's used Lightning before? Who runs their own node? Who's been to El Salvador? The first princes to stand up for the Reformation were Catholic. They had their own selfish reasons for breaking with the church. By inviting in an idea whose time had come, they fundamentally transformed their realms in ways that are still highly visible today. It's no coincidence that the wealthiest and most successful countries in Europe today are in Northern Europe, as they have been for centuries now. So if you believe, as I do, that Bitcoin is a fork in the road for freedom and prosperity, it is as morally incumbent upon us to spread local adoption as it is for a Christian to save your soul. Organize or attend meetups. Teach your hairdresser about Bitcoin. Offer to pay people back over lightning. And if that doesn't work, run to somewhere it does. Translating and distributing the Bible while rejecting the church is necessary for individuals to interpret it basically open-sourced the Reformation. While some ran with the open-sourced Bible and made themselves, quote, supreme head of the Church of England, end quote, to this day, there are basically as many forks of the Reformation as there are congregations. 
This means there is no single point of failure, and the large variety of faith and action made the Reformation far more anti-fragile than the monolithic superstructure it sought to challenge. Crushing it became impossible. It was an impossible game of whack-a-mole. Create communities with Bitcoiners. Build the citadel you've been dreaming about and bring your knowledge and perspective on Bitcoin to the table. Make Bitcoin a hydra. The curious thing about Jesus is that he could have cut the whole thing short at any time, but he didn't. He went to a gruesome end, not knowing if his sacrifice would make a difference. He didn't blame God, the government, or his fellow man for what was happening. He carried his own cross and his own suffering. He did this because of something we now know to be mathematically true, both on an individual and a societal level. The more people are willing to suffer for the sins of others, the less sin there will be for everyone to suffer for. Jesus literally invented the meme, I will die on this hill. In conclusion, there's a range of ideas, tools, and communities that all make up the intellectual, technological, and social arsenal of Bitcoin. Whether you prefer to think of Bitcoin as a way to save our freedoms, our economy, or our climate, I hope I've helped you zoom out and inspired you to think about how you can arm yourself and those around you for the decades ahead. Again, that was, uh, let's see, uh, so get all the way back up to the top. That was Martin Luther's Reformation teaches us how Bitcoin can be successful by Eric Dale, Bitcoin Magazine. He's got some good points. Uh, it should not, it should not be left out and, and, Eric did leave it out, was how did Martin Luther dox himself? Well, he kind of nailed a, you know, sheet of paper to the church door. And when he did that, he did that sort of in broad daylight in front of people. Everybody knew who he was. He wasn't a stranger. He wasn't like some unpopular guy, right? People knew Martin Luther. He'd been bitching about stuff for years. Finally, he got so fed up, he wrote all of the grievances out on paper to the Catholic Church and published it. And if by publish, you mean nail it to the church door, yeah, he published it. And he doxed himself when he did it. I mean, he at great personal risk. See, that's I don't think people understand what that means anymore. At great personal risk in the face of one of the most evil institutions, i.e. the Inquisition of the Catholic Church, he did so in broad daylight. Family, friends, anybody that associated with Martin Luther was in danger because of his actions. So not only did he dox himself, he put family, friends, acquaintances, business, you know, if he was doing business with anybody else, he put everybody in danger because the Inquisition was not something to be jacked around with. They had gone, you know, they had gone on their witch hunts to the point where they've made, you know, they had made it a damn science. And in the face of all of that, Martin Luther still went to the church door and published the grievances. And also it should be noted that when you translate something into the word of the people or the vernacular or the common tongue, you know, what you're doing, what you're doing is uh, heretical in the face of something like the Catholic Church at the time. Only, 
your ordained, you know, minister or priest or whatever. Only they had the legal, as far as the Catholic Church was concerned, only they had the legal right to not only read, but to communicate to you as a pleb what the Bible was saying and what it meant and how you had to think about it. And if you had questions about it, you were, you know, especially if they were outside the boundaries of what the church believed, you were soundly scolded by your priest. This is the way shit worked back then. And this is very, very much the way shit works right now. Censorship is everywhere. Everything we do seems to, like I have more and more anxiety now than I ever used to because more and more of the things that I believe and the things that I want to verbalize to other people are so outside the realm of what should be considered apropos inside the matrix that every time I open my mouth, I feel like I'm at great personal risk. You know, it's just bizarre. So keep Keep it in mind that as we move forward, we're not moving forward in a safe space. Nothing about this is safe. And I'm not talking about losing your Bitcoin. I'm talking about losing your life or at least losing your freedom. None of us are safe. If you're a Bitcoiner and you're going to espouse these truths, it's very likely. Well, I'm not going to say likely. It's entirely possible, however, that we we get in trouble. How much that trouble is or how far it goes, I don't know. But don't think for a second that you're just all safe. Even little tiny banks like uh, up here in Washington State are not safe. Moonstone Bank further explains Gemini and Revolut ties. If you have not understood what's going on is there's a, uh, like a, like a pimple on the ass of humanity size bank I don't know, somewhere like maybe 45 minutes away from where I'm at, that FTX invested in through Gemini and Revolut. And that that entire mess has reached to a bank that heretofore had $10 million in deposits. And after they got invested in by Sam Bankman-Fried and his cabal of bullshit, immediately went to $115 million. You're talking about a rural bank that serves 4,000 people at best. You want to know more about it? Here it is. This is written by uh, Protos staff from from Protos.com. It's been an eventful week for rural Washington State Bank Moonstone, previously known as Farmington State Bank. It may have found little to be thankful for over the holiday season, but revelations and rumors continue to swirl after Thanksgiving with internet sleuths pointing out that Ronald Olvera the once chief executive of Revolut had departed from his CEO role at Moonstone after only eight months. Additionally, curious to some was the role of Noah Perlman, chief operating officer at Gemini, as a Moonstone board member. Protos reached out to Janvier Schalplin once more to get answers. Now I'm going to pause to remind you that the bank we're talking about is this tiny, 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 tiny rural bank that serves a town of maybe 4,000 people. It used to be named Farmington Bank or Farmington State Bank, and it is now called Moonstone. Keep that in mind. 
Shalopin told Protos that former CEO Oliveira had departed on very friendly terms with the bank, but had informed them he was pursuing an opportunity he couldn't refuse. However, Oliveira's LinkedIn doesn't necessarily reflect this. It lists him as self-employed, as a consultant, in the Bay Area. Another board member at Moonstone and Vermont State Bank, Gary River, has been named as acting chief exec in Oliveira's place. Shallopin was asked whether Alameda's investment gave the now defunct hedge fund any other benefits outside of equity, such as a named board member to Moonstone. Shallopin clarified nothing at all. He, that's what he said. He said, nothing at all. We didn't get anything. That's, that's what he's saying. The chief digital officer said that Moonstone had sought out FTX uh, slash Alameda for an investment around autumn of 2021 and pitched a while after that. He said that Moonstone had gone to Alameda because, quote, they'd invested in the trust bank Protego, also in Seattle, and that Moonstone believed they'd be interested in our plans to bring tech-first banking for the industry in the United States. Chalapin traveled to Alameda's headquarters in the Bahamas to pitch the team. He said the process was quite normal. They asked about our vendors, we'd be selecting for compliance, yada yada, and whether the bank's plans were scalable. Quote, they were very much to the point and understanding of our value proposition, end quote. Shalapin also reiterated that Alameda's investment was passive and that the, quote, team believes in the company and would love the opportunity to buy back the equity sold to Alameda Research. Numerous well-known financial names are popping up in associating uh, to Moonstone Bank, from Alameda to Gene Shalapin to Ronald Oliveira. Less known but still important is Noah Perlman. Perlman doesn't list his board membership at Moonstone on his LinkedIn either. He's the chief operating officer at Gemini, a well-known U.S.-based crypto exchange founded by the Winklevi twins. Chalapin said it was a positive for Moonstone to secure someone like Noah to the board, mainly due to his strong background in operations and compliance and his executive experience at a digital asset company. When asked what drew the COO to, of Gemini to Moonstone, Shalapin replied, quote, the vision we have for the digital bank we're developing, end quote. According to Shalapin, the embroiled bank is definitely targeting future fundraising rounds. While he's unclear if the Alameda bankruptcy proceedings will have broader valuation implications, he sees a future raise as necessary to acquire the right engineering team to properly build our technology stack and increase risk and compliance hirings. Shalapin emphasized that the bank had a chief risk officer from J.P. Morgan implementing some monitoring that even big banks don't have. Moonstone, he said, hasn't launched any brand awareness, or at least in, in, intentionally, but would start going more public in the coming weeks. Shalapin called Moonstone a small bank with big dreams. However, Protos would be remiss to not point out that Tanya Thigason, who has apparently worked at Farmington State Bank for decades and serves as its current president, was also appointed as an agent for the bank's parent company, FBH Corporation. It's a foreign, for-profit corporation in the United States that bought the bank in October of 2020. Jean Chalapin, chairman of Deltec Bank & Trust, remains governor of FBH Corp. 
questions remain for the Federal Reserve of San Francisco, which took over regulatory duty for the small bank this year, but seems to have glossed over Moonstone's for-profit foreign interests. So that's the end of the article, but the story, the plot just gets so thick. Here we've got this little tiny ass rural bank that doesn't issue credit cards. It doesn't issue home mortgages. What, you know, it doesn't, I, it, I, don't even, I don't even know if they print checks. It seems that what they do and what they've done for years is to hold about $10 million in rural farmers' money and they make farm loans to buy new equipment, to buy seed, to buy fertilizer. This is a 4,000 member community, people. They live out in the sticks. They're out in the Palouse, right? There's just nothing but hills and grades and all kinds of shit out here. And they farm, you know, legumes and wheat and barley and rye and hay. And that's what they do. It's, it's not sophisticated. How in the hell does a small ass bank in Farmington, Washington, Farmington State Bank get bought out by a foreign asset and then ends up linked to FTX, Gemini, the Federal Reserve in San Francisco. This is something, if you think this is all over, you are wrong, okay? This, this is going to continue for the, for, I think for the duration of this cycle. Until the next happening, this is just gonna be a mess that continues to unravel and New information will always be coming to light, but we've got other fish to fry. Following the, oh, sorry, would-be crypto sleuths converge on the Bahamas to hunt for SBF. We're very close. Guy, ladies and gentlemen, it's me talking. We're very close to torches and pitchforks. Very, very close. Andre Beganatsky tells us more from Decrypt.co. Following the collapse of cryptocurrency exchange FTX, crypto Twitter influencers are converging on the Bahamas in search of former chief executive Sam Bankman-Fried. The now bankrupt exchange has been headquartered in the Bahamas since September of last year and operated out of out of a luxury penthouse at an Albany resort, a gated community located on the island of New Providence. The neighborhood is now the target of impromptu investigations, ostensibly on behalf of the crypto community. Oh joy, here we go, BitBoy's in the news. Ben Armstrong, who runs a popular YouTube channel called BitBoy Crypto, posted a live stream of himself walking around the resort's property where he was eventually turned away by staff. Armstrong has gone to other locations on the island to try and pry further. He posted a video of himself at a residence where the Washington Post reported SBF's parents owned company. Armstrong did not immediately respond to a request for comments. More influencers, however, are on their way to see what information that they could potentially unearth. YouTubers Gabriel Haynes, who's posted multiple viral rants about the calamity surrounding SBF and FTX on Twitter, successfully crowdfunded $10,000 to fly him and his family. Jesus, these, the fucking leeches, they just don't stop, do they? Hit the crowdfunded $10,000 to fly him and his family to the Bahamas. Yeah, that's not an investigation. 
That's a vacation. Haynes told Decrypt he's currently on his way to the island, and while he isn't confident he'll be able to find SBF, he hopes his videos can provide some relief to a community still reeling from the swift shuttering of one of the largest and most popular cryptocurrency exchanges. Quote, I want to make some good, fun content that people will enjoy. <clears throat> people will have lost a lot of money in this, and I have gotten so many messages from people how they felt so much better from watching my videos about SBF and the whole collapse, end quote, bullshit. Funds for Haynes' trip were gathered through the website Juicebox, a protocol that lets people donate Ethereum to certain projects. Over 60 payments were made on Juicebox to send Gabriel Haynes to the Bahamas, and it is uh, currently the top trending project on the platform. Haynes said he became aware of the crypto community's interest in sending him to the Bahamas after he viewed a poll posted by a Twitter user in which 75% of 2,000 respondents agreed that they should pool funds. He added that the page on Juicebox was launched by another user independently after Haynes said it would cost him around $10,000 to go to the Bahamas and that the project's ownership was transferred to his wallet after it had already gone live. Quote, I think it's a very unique thing that happened because I don't know how often the content creators are funded to go to particular places and create content, he said. The crowdfunding effort was started by Joseph Shirazi, who goes by Cup of Joseph on Twitter, and told Decrypt he was compelled to make the page after seeing a consensus form around sending Haynes to the Bahama. Quote, if crypto Twitter wills it, we will build it, he said. Schlizari, or whatever the fuck this asshole's name is, set the project up in a way that rewarded contributors of 0.1 Ethereum or more with an NFT. He quickly crafted in Microsoft Paint, oh my God, which added a magnifying glass and Sherlock-esque cap to Haynes' Twitter profile picture. He said the entire effort took him less than an hour to launch. He anticipated it could take as long as two weeks to reach the goal of 10,000, but he was surprised to see the goal met in less than one day. Quote, I can't believe how excited everyone was. Referencing Armstrong's decision to go to the Bahamas, Haynes said it fulfills a need for information about what's going on and address some of the crypto community's frustrations. Quote, I get while he's doing it. Uh, <clears throat> sorry, I get why he's doing it, Haynes said. It feels like there's no authority that actually cares. In the wake of BitBoy's misadventures, flying to the Bahamas to hunt SBF has become a meme of sorts on crypto Twitter, with many claiming to join the party. Yeah, they're joining the party with your money. Every single thing about this article should make you cringe in ways that you've never cringed before. $10,000 to fly Haynes and his family to the Bahamas. If this was pure investigation, why is his family in tow? What I want to demonstrate here is that as we go through these collapses, you would think that people would learn their lesson. The people that I just described to you are the leeches that are on everything. They were there before the collapse. They are here during the collapse and they will reformulate some way to take your money after the collapse. Crowdfunding $10,000 in a single day from crypto Twitter to send some asshole and his family to the Bahamas ostensibly to look for SBF should tell you everything you need to know about where we are at. 
I'm giving you a map and pointing to the place that says you are here. Where is here? We are where it is not done. This is not over, ladies and gentlemen. It's not even begun. You think it has begun, but it's really not. And it's sad, and I can cry about it all goddamn day if I want to, but it's not going to change the fact that we are up against the most potent force the universe has ever wrought, and that is human nature. The human nature of greed, the human nature of paranoia, the human nature of graft and grift, the human nature of getting something for nothing. Human nature of being able to, to bury your ethics and your morals so far out of your ass that you never have to deal with them and you sleep well at night, even though that you know that you stole people's money by telling them a lie. Haynes wasn't going to investigate for SBF. He probably only took $8,000 of that, gave the other 2000 to the asshole that set it up, and then flew to the Bahamas for a nice little vacay. We're not done. We are not done here. And as you'll see later in the show, and this is going to be a longer show, right? I'd normally target an hour, getting the feeling this is going to go over. Because there's a lot of bullshit out there. And if you don't protect yourself, you're going to lose money again. Now, I'm going to do, let's do this one first. Coinbase Wallet will stop supporting Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum Classic, Stellar Lumens, and XRP, citing, get this, I love it, low usage, Turner Wright, Cointelegraph. Starting on December the 5th, the Coinbase wallet will no longer support four major tokens. We're talking about the naked mole rat, Brian Armstrong's Coinbase, okay, the, the Coinbase In a November 29th notice on its help pages, Coinbase said the wallet will no longer support Bitcoin Cash, XRP, Ethereum Classic, and Stellar Lumen, as well as their networks. The the crypto firm cited low usage of the four tokens in its decision to stop supporting starting on December the 5th. This doesn't mean that your assets will be lost, said the announcement. Any unsupported asset you hold will still be tied to your address and accessible through your Coinbase wallet recovery phase. So... Even Coinbase is starting to divest itself of pure crap. And that's saying something because Coinbase has always been where terrible scams go to uh, proliferate and take your money. So it's telling, very telling, that Brian Armstrong is getting out of Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum Classic, Stellar Lumen and XRP. Now, BC, Ethereum Classic. Who, everybody's going to get out of Ethereum Classic. That that has there's nothing there. But Stellar Lumen. Well, well, yeah. Now, BCH is probably the next up the ladder as far as I don't want to say importance, but I'm going to say importance for lack of a better term. But at the very top of this entire heap is Ripple, XRP. And these, this has been a terrible blight on Bitcoin ever since Brad Garlinghouse and whatever cadre of idiots that he's got together began this thing. It, it, uh, 
And X, you know, XRP is in battle with the Treasury Department over whether or not it's a security. And even Brian Armstrong is just pulling the plug on, on Ripple. I hope more people do it. I mean, you know, kudos where kudos are due. Thank you, Brian Armstrong, for at least having some kind of ethical read on the world. So there's that. Now, let's see. Uh, oh, while we're talking about exchanges, I want to tell you through Bitcoin Magazine about 10 exchanges, or maybe not 10, the, the Bitcoin-only exchanges that we have so that you can at least arm yourself with the information that you're going to need as we move forward. Now, who's writing this? Okay, this is just by Bitcoin Magazine for Bitcoin Magazine. Bitcoin-only exchanges are platforms where people can buy or sell Bitcoin using fiat currencies or stablecoins. You can refer to our guide on how to buy Bitcoin for further information uh, on an exchange. Still, you usually need to sign up with some basic personal data and uh, transfer fiat or cryptocurrency to the platform to start buying Bitcoin. Learning about Bitcoin is an important step you should follow before investing. So be sure to read our Bitcoin guide to fully understand what you are buying and why it is so important to keep your Bitcoin safe. So why use a Bitcoin-only exchange? Jeez, do we really have to go through an answer on that one? Once people understand Bitcoin, they usually like to keep away from the noise of myriad of cryptocurrencies and focus on Bitcoin only. Bitcoin-only exchanges exist because they recognize the value of Bitcoin as sound money. They support the Bitcoin community and the ecosystem with no distraction from inferior coins and the resulting negative implications that may come with them. So here they are. Number one on the list is River. River is a U.S.-based Bitcoin-only custodial exchange that claims to be very easy and secure to use while offering plenty of good educational materials to understand what Bitcoin is. River charges fees based on how much Bitcoin you buy, starting from 1.20%, but offers no fees for recurring buys. River stores all Bitcoin offline in secure cold storage and also offers customers to buy Bitcoin miners. Number two, Swan Bitcoin. Swan is River's main competitor in the United States and claims to be the most secure platform to buy Bitcoin. Swan provides similar services to River, with the main difference being the fees. Swans are 0.99% while Rivers starts at 1.2%. They offer recurring daily, weekly, or monthly purchases, which they make enticing due to a very competitive USD, uh, USD BTC conversion rate. Coin Corners, number three. Coin Corner is a Bitcoin exchange based on the Isle of Man in Great Britain. They have over 2 million users across the over 45 countries that they serve, deposits and withdrawals are only available in pounds and euros. They have fixed transaction fees based on the amount processed. Deposits are free in the UK and Europe. However, they have a fixed fee of 25 pounds sterling for every other region. Withdrawal cost one great British pound and one euro depending on the currency used. There's no fee for depositing or withdrawing Bitcoin. Number four, Bull Bitcoin. Bull Bitcoin is a long-standing Bitcoin-only exchange established in 2013 and appears to be a straightforward service to use from the start. There are no frills on the opening page and every essential information you need to know about the service is displayed immediately. 
You can also use Bull Bitcoin to pay your bills online with Bitcoin. They are widely appreciated for their efficient customer support and have tiered based transaction fees starting from 0.5% for 100 Canadian dollars to uh, 1,000 Canadian dollars up to 1.25% for amounts transacted over 10,000 Canadian dollars. Number five on the list, RoboSats. Is a peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin exchange ideal for onboarding new users as it's easy and quick to use? It requires no KYC, that's important. It requires no KYC since it's based on pseudonym or pseudonymous avatars that allow customers to trade Bitcoin over the Lightning Network using the Tor browser only. Users can also easily swap on-chain Bitcoin for Lightning liquidity. Established in early 2022, the non-custodial exchange has a lot of room for improvement, but it is set to provide the prototype of a Bitcoin-only exchange based on privacy as well as security. Number six on the list is HODL HODL, and it's another peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin exchange that also offers peer-to-peer -peer lending services. It's a non-custodial platform that requires no KYC, no AML procedures. The exchange accepts almost all fiat currencies and many payment methods to start trading, including cash in person and bank transfers. The way it works is simple. A contract is generated and HODL HODL creates a unique multi-sig escrow. The seller deposits Bitcoin directly from his wallet and agrees on a payment method with the buyer. The seller releases Bitcoin from multi-sig escrow directly to the buyer's wallet. Number seven, strike. Strike uses Bitcoin technology to offer instant payments globally with no added fees. Strike can be used to pay your friends and family, buy goods and services online, make micropayments, tip content creators, as well as buy and sell Bitcoin. Number eight, Relay is based in Switzerland and is Europe's most accessible Bitcoin-only investment app. It enables instant Bitcoin purchases through SEPA, S-E-P-A, payment integration, and customers can set up a weekly or monthly savings plan for as little as 10 euro. Bitcoiners appreciate it because it requires no deposit, registration, or strict KYC procedure. It's a perfect app for beginners who want to buy and hodl Bitcoin because it's easy to use and provides a hassle-free experience. Number nine. BISC is a decentralized peer-to-peer -peer Bitcoin exchange that allows anyone to buy and sell Bitcoin in exchange for fiat currencies and other cryptocurrencies. It is not a company for, but free software that requires no centrally controlled servers and has no single points of failure. BISC, B-I-S-Q, does not require personal information or a linked bank account to use the platform, making it the perfect choice for those who want to preserve their privacy. Number 10, Cash App. Cash App deserves a special mention. Although it's not technically an exchange, but a peer-to-peer -peer payment system that allows users to buy and sell Bitcoin only alongside stocks. The platform enables investors to transfer Bitcoin to their wallet, although withdrawals are limited to $2,000 daily or $5,000 within any seven days. Cash App sets a fee depending on price volatility and market trading volume, which is disclosed at the time of purchase. So frequently asked questions, what's the best exchange for Bitcoin? There's not one, but you should be able to find a platform that satisfies your needs. 
If you're looking for ease of use, better privacy, or enhanced security with a non-custodial service, you'll find the right Bitcoin-only exchange for you. Just follow our guide above to have the best indication. Which Bitcoin exchanges are the most trusted? Bitcoin-only exchanges, P2P platforms and exchanges that don't rehypothecate but maintain proof of reserves are generally more trustworthy than centralized exchanges. What Bitcoin exchange offers the lowest fees? Usually, payments like Cash App or Relay have the most competitive fees and are the easiest to use. However, fees vary a lot whether for withdrawals or trading. So you just need to keep an eye on the exchanges, terms and conditions to avoid surprises. So which one of these is the safest? Non-custodial, peer-to-peer exchanges are usually safer because custody of the Bitcoin remains in your hands. Most exchanges provide high standard security, but cannot be 100% secure against the threat of hacks. It's always recommended that you transfer Bitcoin to a hardware wallet after the purchase to avoid any risk of losing your assets. So in summary, new exchanges may emerge regularly and are increasingly secure and easy to use. So we always watch out for the latest edition, especially in light of the dramatic events of 2022 with the collapse of many cryptocurrency services, notably FTX, Three Arrows Capital and Celsius it's always recommended to use decentralized peer-to-peer platforms. Regardless of the service that you're using, moving coins out of exchanges soon after an important trade has occurred is something even exchanges have recommended for years, and it's never stressed enough. Such a simple transfer from an exchange to a private wallet would have prevented massive losses in the past. You know what? Ladies and gentlemen, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities. Uh, Oil, West Texas Intermediate up 0.65%, $77.74. Brent North Sea up scant to $83.27. Natural gas, a move up quarter of a point higher, $7.21 per thousand cubic feet. And gasoline is down a full point to $2.30 a gallon. Gold is up, (coughs) excuse me, half a point to $1,764. Silver up $1 and $1.36% to $21.20. Hasn't been that high in a while. Platinum is up over a thousand. Holy shit. After a one point gain, copper is up 0.64%. Palladium is down 0.64%. Agricultural futures are, or ag is mixed. Basically coffee is the biggest winner up uh, 3.4%. The biggest loser is going to be cocoa 0.76% to the downside. Dow is down 0.15%. S&P down 0.27%. NASDAQ down 0.65%. But the S&P mini is the only winner today up one third of a point. We have 9,126 transactions awaiting six blocks to clear. 
Uh, we have a $314.6 billion market cap, which is 2.5% of gold's entire market cap. And if you so choose, you may purchase 8.8 ounces of the shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin, of which there are 19,219,817.17 of and 5,114.5 of those are locked in the Lightning Network, valued at $83.7 million, being run over 16,015 nodes, sporting 76,612 payment channels, and 68.4% of all of that's being run over Tor's 11,254 nodes. Hold on for a sec, hold on. Uh, oh. Never mind. Just I got a message on my phone. Wanted to make sure it wasn't an emergency. Uh, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, hash rates: two hundred and forty-nine point one exahashes per second as an average over the last uh, two thousand sixteen blocks. Uh, we are at one sat per V byte, and six thousand one hundred and twelve satoshis is going to get you uh, one cuck buck. So there you go. That's going to do it for vitals. Hey, I'll go ahead and take the time to read you the three boostergrams that I got. Bubba, at Bubba, 20,000 sats, says, try not to type while driving. I should follow my own advice. If you don't know, Bubba is our good truck driving buddy who is now teaching his wife how to truck drive. Hey, congratulations, Bubba, if you survived all the curves that she was afraid of taking um, if you didn't see one of Bubba's posts and you don't know what I'm talking about, but apparently his wife was afraid taking the big rig, uh, around curves. Uh, you know, I never thought about that. My, my fear would be Hills with curves. That would, that one sucks, man. There's some roads up here. Woo. Oh my God. You gotta be good. I think, or at least I think you gotta be good. Uh, letter 6173 with a striper boost, 7,777 sats says a run on paper Bitcoin versus real Bitcoin is what collapsed the Ponzi's all the way up to FTX and beyond. This is the power of a truly digital scarce asset in self custody. I have to agree. Uh, Bit happens 1331 says gold conspiracies. A conundrum wrapped in an enigma, and the internet loves to block quality data on monoatomic elements. Natural in Tigris and Euphrates, that's the Tigris-Euphrates River Valleys, monatomic gold is abundant in Hawaii and Phoenix, uh, and gives a link to a YouTube channel there. Or, uh, Moses not only took the golden calf, but he burned it ground it up and fed it to the Israelites, and yet another YouTube link, rediscovered by a farmer named David Hudson, and he provides a third YouTube link, monoatomic arranged molecules occur in the heavy and light platinum group. Again, haven't had the time because everybody's either been at home or it's the holidays or people are sick to go and look at those, but I appreciate the information. And one of these days, maybe today, if things go right, I can sit down and, and watch those particular YouTube videos. Now, Chainlink, we're gonna talk about it, and there's a reason why, so bear with me. Chainlink eyes 25% rally ahead of Link staking launch in December. Yashua Gola has it for Cointelegraph. Hey, I know, you're about to hurl. Bear with me. There's a reason we're doing it. There really is. 
Chainlink looks poised for a 25% price rally in the days leading up to its staking protocol launch based on several fundamentals and technical factors. The staking feature will go live as version 0.1 in beta mode on December the 6th, and it comes as part of the so-called Chainlink Economics 2.0 that focuses on boosting link holders' reward-earning opportunities for helping increase the crypto economy security of Chainlink's Oracle services. Earlier, Chainlink users had to launch their own nodes to receive rewards and link tokens. The staking feature effectively opens new avenues for them to earn link that could, in theory, boost demand for the token. Additionally, demand for Link's parent platform, Chainlink, as an Oracle service provider should also increase. David Gokstein, founder of the blockchain-focused media company Gokstein Media, believes it could happen in the wake of the recent FTX collapse. Foreshadowing. Leeches! Leeches, people, leeches. The analyst highlighted how traders have been seeking more clarity on exchanges reserves after the FTX fiasco, which can boost demand for Oracle services like Chainlink and in turn push Link's price higher. Chainlink Labs launched its proof of reserve auditing services to exchanges on November the 10th. The speculations have helped Link's price rally in, recently, in recent days. The Link USD pair now eyes further upside in the near term price technical suggest. Link reclaimed its multi-week rising support trendline on November the 29th, three weeks after losing it in the wake of the FTX-led market sell-off. In doing so, the Chainlink token also invalidated its prevailing ascended triangle. Okay, they're at this point, they're talking about drawing lines on graphs and shit. And that's not the point of why I am bringing you this news about Chainlink. Because... Well, here's what's going to happen. The link Marines are going to get wiped out. Why? Remember at the first part of the show, I was telling you how this is not over. You know, there's, there's so many people that they're breathing a sigh of relief because FTX finally collapsed and is, you know, really showing people how important it is to do yada, yada, yada. You take your own Bitcoin into your own custody. Yeah, we get it, dude. But... Anybody who's breathing a sigh of relief here is fooling themselves. Why? Maybe FTX is, is going to clean out the, I don't know, this room of the seller that is the toilet of Bitcoin. Because it's not crypto, it's Bitcoin. And anything having to do with, Bit, with sorry, with crypto is a toilet. And it all flushes to the seller and that's what's getting the muck raked out of it right now. Celsius, Three Arrows Capital, Farmington State Bank, which is now Moonstone, is probably going to go away. D uh, FTX, Gemini, uh, shit, Barry Silbert's having problems. He's trying to raise $2 billion. You only do that shit when you're kind of desperate. That's still over there in the lending, ICO, paper-wrapped Bitcoin world, and it's all burning down. You know what's not burning down? Staking. Staking has yet to burn the fuck down. That's why I'm telling you, because this thing about Chainlink I's 25% rally is because Yashu Gola is a leech. 
And most of the time, Cointelegraph is too. Sometimes they've got like William Suberg has a tendency to write very good articles about Bitcoin. I try not to read the rest of the bullshit on it because it's just an NTF, ICO, lending, staking playground. That's, it's always good news. Oh my God, Chainlink's gonna, it's eyeing a 25% price rally because staking. Stakers are going to get burnt down. That will be next. It's gonna be next. When, I don't know. I get a feeling it's going to be longer than we want and longer than we think, which is way longer than we want, okay? But it's going to happen because that's even more of a dangerous situation than I think what we were just in. However, nobody, like, I, I, I don't know how much quote-unquote Bitcoin has been staked, Right. I mean, it's like most of the Bitcoin that got staked has been liquefied at this point, I think. I'm not exactly sure about that, but that's my gut feeling, All right? So the, what's next is going to be a pure shitcoin fiasco. People are going to stake their link. People have staked their ETH. There's no way to get it out. There's not even a, there's not a software mechanism to retrieve your staked Ethereum or ether or whatever you want to call it. It doesn't exist. The code hasn't been written yet and they're not going to write it. And they've said when they finally do write it, it's probably somewhere in 2024. It, or actually, no, they, they postponed. That's right. I forgot the last message we got. They postponed that shit indefinitely. So people that stake their ETH cannot get it back. They can't think about that. There's no way to get it back. Even if they were smart and they said, you know what? I should probably get my ETH back. Too late. You staked it to a system that doesn't allow you to unstake it. Does not have the physical mechanism to unstake it. And it's been told to you and me that that shit was going to come in 2023 or 2024. And then we got word last week or the week before that they were postponing that shit indefinitely. They're not giving a date. And all that staked ETH and what's going to be linked and any of the other staking mechanisms that's out there, it's all going to be rehypothecated. It's going to be wrapped. It's going to be papered over. It's going to be put on a Xerox machine and copied like we print money from the Fed. And it's all going to burn the fuck down. And if you have any part of it, you're going to get burned. If you're a listener, if for whatever reason you're listening to basically a Bitcoin only podcast and you have Chainlink and you're thinking about staking, I would highly recommend looking at what happened to everything this year and ask yourself the question, how is it that I know that that's not going to happen in the staking ecosystem because we're talking about two completely different realms of existence. There was the, everything that FTX represented and everything in front of that, the Celsius and the Terra Luna and all that shit, as it burnt down, it's burning down a particular ecosystem that started basically with SushiSwap and BlockFi. That's the way it is. The staking is a completely different ecosystem. It's run by the same leeches, but it's a different Ponzi mechanism altogether. 
It works in a different way. It has a completely different mechanism, but the fallout will be the same. That's why this shit isn't over. That's why I was telling you at the front of the show, I'm like, this is nowhere close to over. It's just not. And if you're breathing a sigh of relief, you might want to take that sigh back in and use it for oxygen because you're going to need it when everybody goes fucking underwater. Nobody's learning. They said crypto Twitter guys were sending their hard earned money to a, a YouTube influencer in crypto as the house is burning down to send not only him, but his family to the Bahamas to go find F SB uh, SBF. What does that tell you about the mentality that still exists out there? We are in a very dangerous time. We're in a very dangerous time. You need to be careful. Be Bitcoin only, buy Bitcoin, hold Bitcoin, get it off exchanges and into your own private keys. If you don't do that, you are going to be susceptible. Moving on, Bitcoin shrugs off BlockFi and the China protest as BTC price holds 16,000. Again, what I was telling you, William Suberg from Cointelegraph. I'll bring you this guy from Cointelegraph. I'd have no problem doing that. Data from Cointelegraph Markets Pro and TradingView confirmed Bitcoin leaving lower levels untouched overnight. The pair had seen a flash downturn after a November 27th weekly close, thanks to uncertainty from China over COVID-19 measures. A recovery nonetheless took the market higher with 16,500 coming into play at the time of writing. As Cointelegraph reported, traders and analysts had warned that it was all but essential to preserve current support with a violation opening up the road to 14,000 or lower. Popular trader Crypto Tony even felt comfortable going long bit, uh, Bitcoin on the day. Quote, flipping the EQ would be a safer long entry, but keeping this open with a tight stop loss is the best way for me, he revealed. Uh, <clears throat> an accompanying chart identified and resist, uh, support and resistance zones in play in the mid-range timeframes. Even fresh repercussions over the FTX debacle failed to send uh, Bitcoin's performance lower. Meanwhile, these came in the form of bankruptcy filings and lawsuits from crypto lender BlockFi. Yeah, we'll get to that one in a second. The latest in a chain reaction sparked by FTX going under, the news came alongside a surprise redemption of salary payments by the defunct exchange. Quote, makes sense after this bounce, we've created a HL on Bitcoin and aiming at resistance again, Michael Van de Pop, founder and CEO of trading firm 8, continued about a higher low, HL, on the four hour chain chart. Meanwhile, China formed the main macro focus of the day with anti-lockdown protests impact on market sentiment nonetheless seeming to ease. Asian markets bounced back strongly with Hong Kong's Hang Seng up 5.2% at the time of writing and the Shanghai Composite Index gaining 2.3. Those are some big moves, dude. Quote, we do not expect China policy to publicly shift away from the zero COVID stance. However, we could see some easing of the policy privately and in localized areas, Mohit Kumar, an analyst at investment banking firm Jefferies, wrote in a note quoted by Bloomberg. November 30th looks set to be a key trading day of the week with Bitcoin's monthly close, accompanied by a speech from Jerome Powell, oh God, chair of the United States Federal Reserve. 
So yeah, I mean, I honestly expected Bitcoin to, you know, stay lower. And I was surprised after the news, you know, the China protests and the, uh, the, the block five bankruptcy filing, you know, I expected, I expected 15, eight, honestly, I'm surprised. I'm honestly surprised that Bitcoin's doing what it's doing today. Yeah. It, just, it, it shows for the resilience, but I think it also shows for the lack of liquidity in the Bitcoin markets. Even though Bitcoin is quote unquote, the most liquid asset that there is, uh, there's a lot of people that have been taking their Bitcoin off of the exchanges and when they take it off of the exchanges and self-custody it, then all of the trading sentiment, it lies within that individual's decision whether or not to open that hardware wallet or cold wallet and do some trading. And it doesn't look to me like a lot of people are doing trading, which means that the markets are being made by a very, very slim or uh, slim sliver of people that still have liquefied Bitcoin at their disposal. And the more it goes, the more Bitcoin goes into hardware wallets and the people that hold those hardware wallets just have had their fill of day trading Bitcoin on the shitcoin markets, the better we're going to see stability. That's just the way this works. Now, let's talk about that uh, BlockFi suing uh, FTX founder that was mentioned in the last story. We have it from decrypt.co. William McCurdy is writing it, uh, entitled Bankrupt BlockFi Suing FTX Founder Over Robinhood Shares Promised as Collateral. Remember we were talking about that little bank in Washington and how the web that has been woven is so intricate and as we start pulling it apart, it gets more and more dicey. This is about as dicey as it gets, man. The recently bankrupt crypto lender BlockFi is suing Sam Bankman-Fried, FTX former CEO, to obtain shares of Robinhood he allegedly pledged to the company as collateral earlier this month. So pausing just to see if we get this straight. So Sam Bankman-Fried got shares of Robinhood and pledged them as collateral to BlockFi for a loan. See how lending is not good for anybody? Continuing on, the filing, which was initially reported by the Financial Times, came just hours after BlockFi filed for bankruptcy, citing a liquidity crisis caused by exposure to Bankman Fried's FTX exchange and its sister hedge fund, Alameda Research. The lender's complaint alleges that Bankman Fried's investment vehicle, Emergent Fidelity Technologies, in partnership with EDNF Man, a London-based financial services firm that acted as a broker for Bankman Fried, quote, has custody of the collateral that belongs to BlockFi, end quote. These assets were pledged to BlockFi under the terms of an agreement made on November the 9th, according to the filing. Bankman Fried first bought his 7.6% stake in consumer trading app Robinhood in May of 2022, according to a filing with the United States Securities and Exchange Commission, which at the time would have been worth around $600 million. The filing, lodged in the same New Jersey court BlockFi opted for bankruptcy court protection from, goes on to claim that Bankman Fried's vehicle has defaulted on its obligations under the pledge agreement and that it, quote, failed to satisfy its obligations thereunder 
despite written notice of default and acceleration, end quote. The bankrupt lender said it will now look to enforce the terms of a pledge agreement and to recover collateral that is property of these bankruptcy estates. The Financial Times also alleges, citing unnamed and unconfirmed sources, that Bankman Fried had been listing his stake in Robinhood among his list of assets as he undertook last-ditch efforts earlier this month to raise money from investors to exempt or to attempt to save FTX. I'm going to pause right there. He rehypothecated that value. If you want another example of rehypothecation and what it means, here it is. He took, he took this, these shares of Robinhood that he pledged to somebody else. And instead of putting it into a different column for accounting, like let's say assets that we own or, but are pledged and therefore held for other third parties that we are indebted to, and this is the debt structure that those shares are, are how they're supposed to collateralize this. Instead of keeping it in that column, he moved those shares to assets on, that real assets that they can pledge in bankruptcy. So he basically pledged the same shares of Robinhood on his books to two different people at the same time. So when those two different people come a knocking for those shares, there's two claims on them. Who's going to win? That's why BlockFi is suing Sam Bankman-Fried personally in court so that they can make sure that everybody knows that those shares belong to BlockFi because they were pledged as collateral in an agreement. If they didn't do this, then once bankruptcy proceedings start really commencing, then those shares would be sold because Sam Bankman fried, put them on Alameda and, or whatever uh, FTX's balance sheet as assets that they own. So BlockFi is actually doing what they need to be doing to try to make a claim basically is what this is. They're saying, no, we're claiming this. We're due it in court. We're doing it before the bankruptcy procedures start really picking up steam so that everybody knows that those shares are not part of SBF's actual wealth or FTX's or Alameda's. It's ours. Continuing on, BlockFi was not the only instance of Bankman Fried promising huge sums to save other embattled firms amid the harsh crypto winter of earlier this year in August of 2022, FTX offered to buy troubled crypto lender Voyager in a $70 million deal, which has now left the firm scrambling to find a new buyer. Well, good luck, Voyager. Nobody's going to touch you with a 10-foot pole. And if they do, they're going to get burnt the fuck down. You know, it's, it is just that easy. Now, non-whale Bitcoin investors break new BTC accumulation record. Helen Parts Coin Telegraph. Some non-whale Bitcoin investors seem to have had zero issues with the cryptocurrency bear markets as well as fear, uncertainty, and doubt around the fall of FTX. On-chain data suggests smaller retail investors have turned increasingly bullish on Bitcoin and started accumulating, gasp, more BTC despite the ongoing market crisis according to a report released by the blockchain intelligence platform Glassnode. According to the data, 
there are at least two types of retail Bitcoin investors that have been accumulating the record amount of BTC following the collapse of FTX. The first type of investors classified as shrimps defines entities or investors that hold less than one Bitcoin, $16,500 at the time of writing in value. While the second type, crabs, are a category of addresses holding up to 10 BTC uh, or about $165,000 at the time of writing. A shrimp investor has reportedly added 96,200 BTC or $1.6 billion to their portfolios after the FTX crash in early November, which is an all-time high balance increase. This type of investor collectively holds 1.21 million BTC or $20 billion at the time of writing, which is equivalent to 6.3% of current circulating supply of 19.2 million coin, according to Glassnode. In the meantime, crabs have bought about 191,000 Bitcoin or $3.1 billion over the past 30 days, which is also a convincing all-time high, the analysts have said. According to the data, the new milestone has broken a previous high of BTC accumulation recorded by crabs in July 2022 at the peak of 126,000 BTC or $2 billion bought per month. While crabs and shrimps have been accumulating record amounts of Bitcoin, large Bitcoin investors have been selling. According to Glassnode, Bitcoin whales have released about 6,500 BTC or a piddly $107 million to exchanges over the past month, which remains a very tiny ass small proportion of their total holdings of 6.3 million BTC or $104 billion. The behavior of shrimps and crabs seem to be interesting given the latest industry events, with Sam Bankman-Fried's crypto exchange becoming a subject of a massive industry scandal involving alleged fraud and funds misappropriations. On the other hand, some big, big Bitcoin investors have claimed to keep being bullish on Bitcoin despite the ongoing crisis with the government of El Salvador starting the purchase of one BTC on a daily basis starting from November the 17th. Twitter CEO Elon Musk has expressed confidence that Bitcoin will make it despite the current industry issues, but there might be a long crypto winter ahead, he said. And yes, I, that I agree with him about. In the aftermath of the fall of FTX, Bitcoin immediately lost about $6,000 of its value, plummeting from around $21,000 to below $16,000 in mid-November. The cryptocurrency has been slightly recovering over the past few weeks, edging up to no higher than $17,000. At the time of writing, BTC is trading at 16.5 or up around 1.7% over the past 24 hours, according to data from CoinGecko. So there you go. Now, let's see, the last two. Ah, yeah. Well, you know, let's do this one uh, to finish off the morning roundup. Bitcoin Magazine, the state of the Bitcoin Union written by Phil Schneider. According to Merriam-Webster, a nation state is a form of political organization under which a relatively homogenous people inhabit a sovereign state. Is that what Bitcoiners are or are becoming? Like it or not, Bitcoiners are political by default. If you believe in sound money and act upon that belief through investing financial resources, time, energy, intellect, emotion, 
and will into space, you are in direct political opposition to the current world system. But we are relatively homogenous, are we? Yeah, yeah, we are. If we allow that homogeneity uh, can, can be an abstraction rather than limited to physical genetic origins, that is, what binds us as a nation is our shared allegiance to such eternal values as love, peace, fairness, and liberty. What preserves us as a nation is that we voluntarily submit to the rule of law embodied in the Bitcoin protocol, a code of honor that rewards the practices of those values and punishes breach breaches of the contract written in that code. Do we inhabit a sovereign state? Again, I believe that in the abstract, the answer is yes. Bitcoiners, by definition, are sovereign individuals. We declare ourselves sovereigns over our own wealth and destinies by eschewing the Keynesian economics model and its fiat money system enshrined in modern monetary theory that corrupts everything it touches. We are what Abraham Lincoln described in the Gettysburg Address as a new nation, conceived in liberty and dedicated to the proposition that all men are created equal. Oh my God, you misgendered everybody. This kind of talk is fighting words when it reaches the ears of King George of the world who declare themselves sovereign over us. We are revolutionaries in the true sense of the word and are at war with those who seek to enslave us. Though we commit no physical violence, our very existence and our thought crimes are anathema to the fiat elites. We can point to January 3rd, 2009 as the day the nation was conceived with the Genesis block. Since then, we have been gestating and developing as body and soul, hidden in the womb of cryptographic code and protected from prying eyes. But the day of birth is coming soon with the requisite labor pains. It looks like we have escaped the abortionist, but will we succumb to fear at the crisis of birth as enemies unleash all of their weapons at their disposal? The ESG disinformation peddlers, the global banking establishment, their minions and governments, and their vicious enforcers are not going to simply declare victory and let us be on our way in peace. No, sir. No, they are not. There are some who talk of forming a Bitcoin political party, which may sound good at first, but Bitcoiners are international. We're citizens of the world. If you follow the logical progression, you could even say we already have a world government. Mm -hmm. One that isn't beholden to any other government with aspirations of world domination. Bitcoinia is a genuinely sovereign. Hold on. I got to say that again. Bitcoinia is genuinely sovereign and that bestows upon us the potential to be sovereign individuals as well. We have, if you will, plural citizenship. I'm a citizen of the United States of America, of Bitcoinia, and the kingdom of God, a.k.a. the kingdom of heaven. One is natural, one is digital, and one is spiritual, a trifecta of sovereign allegiances. As we all know, Bitcoin is something new, unique, and powerful enough to change the world for the better. I would declare the same for Bitcoinians. As a nation, we are also utterly unique. And yet we are the most diverse union of peoples in history. There are many things that we disagree upon, i.e., how do I evangelize no-coiners? What swear words to use as adjectives when describing altcoin scammers? Just how much privacy are we willing to give up for institutional adoption and hyper-Bitcoinization? We are an unlikely collection 
of some of the wealthiest, most well-educated of every race and creed, together with some of the unbanked poorest of the poor, all yearning to breathe the fresh air of freedom and drink the pure water of our God-given liberty. We long to make our own life choices and not to be treated as chattel by a cabal of amoral self-anointed overlords. But who, until now, ever thought there could be a functioning decentralized government with no dictator, president, or prime minister? Even in a libertarian's wildest dreams, this might seem an impossibility, and yet here we are. The possibilities are endless, and the potential for good in this world simply by fixing the money are beyond measurement. This isn't to say that this miraculous protocol is a panacea for all the world's ill, but it's great base from which to launch till Christ returns. We have abundant reasons to be optimistic and even giddy at the prospects of all that can and will be accomplished in this revolution. We are witnesses and participants in an unprecedented historical turning with promises of ending endless wars, worldwide productivity, and fully unleashed economic prosperities. How does that look in real life? Enjoy the show, folks. Agreed. And with that, that's going to do it for the Morning Roundup. Dad says jokes. What is Aquaman's Twitter handle? Atlantis. Yes, sir. All right. Again, my deepest apologies and my personal regrets for not having a show for a full week and a day. That's just, I mean, it's inexcusable, but there's also not a whole lot I can do about it. This just, it's just the way my life is right now. You know, you get... You get, okay, get a little personal here. There were times when I was praying to God to bounce me out of my rut. I got to get out of this rut, man. I was like, I'm in a rut. I don't know what to do. It's like, it's like everything's the same. And it's just, it's one day after another, after another. Yeah. When you ask God to do something like bounce you out of your rut, uh, you might want to think about the consequences of that request because all of a sudden you end up 1500 miles away from your home state in a studio without a door (laughs) in a climate that is so different that your wife starts getting more sick more than once in a uh, solid, solid one month timeframe where kids school sometimes starts late. Sometimes it starts early. Sometimes they combine, you know, a holiday with a fall break. And next thing you know, you've got kids for an entire week. And again, there's no door on the studio. Uh, not much I can do about it for the time being. So I apologize. I, of course, then again, I, at least I warned you. You know, if you're listening to the shows that, that I start, like, you know, the last shows when I was in uh, uh, Panhandle of Texas, and the first few shows that I did while I was up here in the uh, eastern stretches of Washington State, uh, I told you that it was going to be spotty. So at least I tried to warn you. Now, given all that, what have we learned today? <laughs> well, I hope that your, t- your main takeaway today is that none of this shit is over. It's far, far, far from over. And I, I know you're, you're going to go away and like tomorrow you're going to go, well... Yeah, that maybe he's an idiot. 
Maybe he really doesn't know what he's talking about. I do. Trust me. This isn't over. And when this shit settles down, in the FTX, SBF, Alameda, Celsius, Grayscale, Gemini, all this shit, BlockFi, all of it, it, it will settle down. And we may have, we may have a, a full year before the happening, or, or actually we may have a full year before the entire staking ecosystem starts to burn down. And it's going, it's going to be like tissue paper. It's not going to start. It's just going to go poof. And you're going to, we're going to go, holy shit. What the hell was that? And then we'll have the having. So I do kind of predict that staking will die before the having. I am probably going to get, be wrong. I am fully prepared to be 100% wrong that staking 100% dies before this next having. But I'm going to give myself a 50-50 shot. It's the best I can, odds are the best I can, you know, 50-50 odds are the best I can do. Um, because I think, I, I really do, I think that this entire fiasco, you know, it's like we got into this fiasco because a lot of people didn't listen to the last fiasco. But what, you know, we, we keep saying shit like that and what we're not recognizing is how many new people enter Bitcoin and God forbid, quote unquote, crypto on a day daily basis where there's an influx of new people all the time. And those new people are exactly like the new people in like me in 2015, except I was lucky enough to listen to some of the OG Bitcoiners that were warning me from the very outset, do not shitcoin, You will become wrecked. And I did listen to them and I I've been saved. You know, I, I don't lend my Bitcoin. I don't stake anything. I don't trade shit coins. I, I've gotten rid of everything that I can possibly get rid of. Unless there's a wallet floating around I don't know about, I am divested of everything but Bitcoin, right? And I'm not feeling this hurt and pain from FTX at all. But now you've got the FTX thing blowing up and Celsius and all that. We're going to have a whole new influx of people that come into the space. And there, there's going to be leeches and parasites along with them. And they're going to be new too. Some of them are going to be like BitBoy Crypto, who's a complete fucking fraud. If you're listening to Bitcoin Crypt, BitBoy Crypto, you need to get away from him. He is an utter fraud. Everything about that guy just screams sleazeball. And if you look at him and your stomach doesn't turn, then you're not listening to your gut. That's the other thing that we learned today. You should listen to your gut. Because your gut isn't just a figure of speech. Your gut has processing power at the neuronal scale. I fully believe that. What else did we learn today? Well, actually, I think that's, I think that's it. I think that's enough. But just be aware that the staking thing in its complete collapse is on the horizon. And I have a tendency to believe that it is at least just as big and probably bigger than the FTX blow up and everything that came before it. November was a hard month. It was a month full of hard lessons. And those lessons will not have been learned by the people that come in four weeks from now.
they'll have to learn their lessons all over again and they'll probably learn it when staking dies. At one point, Hopefully before I'm well and buried in the ground, all this shit's, you know, enough of this shit's going to clear up that people regain morals and ethics in a grand scale. And that it's okay, the knowledge that it's okay to not have five airplanes, 12 houses and three Lambos, that that's okay, that that's a a perfectly acceptable way to live. In fact, I don't think it's acceptable to have 12 how you know, 15 houses, 12 airplanes and a hundred Lambos. And the only reason I don't think it's success acceptable is not because I don't think you should have it. It's that I think you're foolish for having it because of all the fucking maintenance that you got to do on all that shit and the ongoing costs. It's like, I own a jet. I bought a Learjet. I'm like, yeah, what are your monthly ground costs? How much does it cost to, to have it checked on every, like a pre-flight done by mechanics to make sure you're not going to fall out of the sky every single time that you take that up? How much is the jet fuel? How much money do you really want to burn? Do something more permanent with it, for God's sakes. It's okay to not be so filthy rich that you're coughing up money to the point that you, want, you need a Learjet to absorb some of it because you have so much. It's okay. It's okay to look at a meal with your family as wealth. It's okay to look at a small house that is well built and tucked into a tiny hillside among trees with a garden and deer out front as actual wealth. It's okay to take comfort in front of a wood burning fire knowing that people you love are surrounding you and think of it as wealth. It's okay. Because that is wealth. All the rest of this shit is just a burden. If you want a burden, go buy a Lambo. You want a burden, go buy a 120 room mansion. You want a burden, go get a Learjet or a Gulfstream 3. And you will understand what burden really is. Because it just never stops. Small house with deer out front and a a, a vegetable garden that gives you food. That just keeps giving you something. You're the burden on it. It's not a burden on you. You know, the car, the 1973 Chevy pickup that never, ever stops running under any conditions because it's built like a brick shithouse. That's not a burden. That's wealth because it always works. Timing chains, if I may remind you on Lamborghinis that you have to change every two years cost $50,000. That's a burden. Don't be burdened. Get your Bitcoin off of exchanges. Hold your own Bitcoin with your own private keys that you generate yourself. And I will see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.